0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Even after all this time, I still marvel at how creativity knows no bounds. A singer, for example, can also express herself through painting. An accomplished actress can write a play. Julie Maloney is one of those multi-talented women. A former dancer, choreographer, and artistic director of the Julie Maloney Dance Company in New York City, she also happens to be an acclaimed poet. Her book, Private Landscape, is an intimate look into the heart of a woman negotiating life after being diagnosed with cancer. Her poems have also been published in numerous literary journals. Julie's latest creative accomplishment is A Matter of Chance. This debut novel, a psychological thriller, tells the story of an eight-year-old girl's disappearance from a town on the Jersey Shore and her mom's relentless search to find her. Julie also happens to be the Founder-Director of Women Reading Aloud, a nonprofit that promotes women writers. She's also the recipient of a National Endowment for the Arts Award, working as an artist in school. So, Julie, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sandy. When and how did your relationship with dance begin?
1: I had the great good fortune to be born to uh, two very kind people, and uh, they sent me to the YMYWCA in Newark, New Jersey, where I was raised. And uh, imagine this, that at the age of eight I was taking a bus downtown. All by myself, and my mother would say to me, just sit on the first seat by the driver. And I would find my way down to the New York Y, and I took dance lessons from the time I was 8 years old. And at that time, I knew exactly that I wanted to be a dancer. But did you tell them that you wanted to take dance lessons? They actually started me for swimming lessons, and they started me in in dance lessons. Mm -hmm. And it was modern dance. It was all improvisation. It was the era of... Your Martha Graham time and Charles Weidman, Hanya Holm. Believe it or not, even Alvin Ailey came when he was a very young man. Mm-hmm. He came to the YWCA. So I was taking lessons with these masters
0: Wow! as, wow. as,
1: as a youngster. I mean, it was so incredible because it w- gave me such a sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. I loved the idea of moving through space and, and changing shape and just this sense of
0: freedom. Spirit. Well, you can love something, right, and not necessarily be good at it. That's true. And in your case, That's it true. was both. Uh, yes, it was.
1: I felt the sensitivity to my body. I felt that I wanted to express myself through movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took every kind of, of dance from tap and jazz, ballet, but it was modern dance, it was that freedom of improvisation. And uh, I'm a petite woman, so I knew that I was probably not going to be a ballet dancer. But the idea of choreographing and creating my own movement mm. and uh, being able to express myself, even even
0: as a youngster, that became so important to me. And then, as you got older, this took on even more meaning, didn't it? It I did. Mean, it... I studied
1: uh, English. And writing at what is now called New Jersey City University, which is in Jersey City, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then I had, uh, and I had a fabulous dance instructor there, a dance professor named Barbara Durfer. And she had actually been a performer with Charles Weidman right here in New York City and uh, at his loft on 29th Street at the time. And after college then, I had a fellowship to the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. And I studied there, received an MFA, but knew I was coming back to New York City to perform. And I went directly to Charles Weidman's studio and auditioned and, and then ended up performing with him. And it was so magical because we performed in this little tiny loft on 29th Street every Sunday night. And even one time, I, can, I remember, no one came. Huh. No one showed up. And yet the master that he was, he said, no, we have a performance. And we all put on our makeup and our costumes and we went out there and we gave a show.
0: And what happened to you after your run with him?
1: Then I decided that I wanted to really become a choreographer myself. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, again, I'm always looking for how can I create more. And so I began to just uh, choreograph solo performances and then I invited other people in and eventually I created the Julie Maloney Dance Company and we performed quite a bit in New York City. I had the key to every loft in New York City, every dancer's loft in New York City. How Uh, big was your troupe? uh, Eventually, I would say sometimes it it varied between 8 and 12 dancers, men and women, of course, and it was a glorious time, hard, hard. Did you earn
0: a living doing this?
1: Barely. So this was
0: clearly a labor of love. Yes, Yes. And so you were obviously doing other things yeah. on the side. You know, I
1: mean, I was teaching dance. I, I was uh, fortunate to receive uh, grants. And uh, that was a good time for the arts. It was a very good time for the arts. What years are we you know, talking in, about? In the 70s. In the 70s. In yeah, the 70s. Yeah, was yeah uh-huh. it was a good time for the arts. I lived in New Jersey, so I was very fortunate to receive New Jersey State Council of the Arts grants. hmm and was able to work as an artist in the schools, as a resident uh, dancer. And I would be traveling to different schools, and and that was fabulous, too. You
0: were in a place that was comfortable for you. Yes. You
1: didn't—I
0: want to say this the right way—you didn't
1: need any more? Probably not. But I also, though, at, from those early days, when I was married at ni- in 1971, mm-hmm. and then I began having children. So I was doing this at the same time. So then it became— Uh, quite a balancing act. So it's definitely a labor of love. Uh, But I knew I also wanted to have a family. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was happy to be in love with my husband and having my children. And eventually, probably around the age of 38, then I realized that it was really hard to do it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And also the grant money was drying up. It was becoming more difficult to maintain a company and even paying a a meager wage to to the dancers to perform. I mean, you have to do this because you love it, but of course you have to pay bills as well. Of course. So around the age of 38, I decided that I had to stop. My children were getting a little bit older. I did not want to miss out on their lives, but it was a very, very hard time.
0: That begs the question, then, you... Began to reinvent yourself?
1: Yes, I had to. And I, but it was difficult because I began to think, well, will I ever find something that I will love as much as being a dancer? Will I ever find something that gives me that incredible sense of freedom and joy and uh, this joie de vivre, mm. basically? Even though I had responsibilities at home, I knew myself enough that I knew I needed to have something else for my creative life.
0: I was just going to say another creative outlet.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I reconnected to my love for reading and writing.
0: But you said you got an MFA. Yes. Which is?
1: was was in dance.
0: It was in dance. Yes. Aha. And so then did you just kind of automatically start to put your thoughts down on paper? What made you no, think I... that you could write poetry?
1: Well, I think poetry came to me because, out of desperation, you know, poetry came to me out of trying to figure out what was going to be my next step in my creative life. I mean, I, just going back for a second, Mm. I grew up around the corner from the local library, and it was a tremendous joy for me to just walk around the corner and go to the library every Friday. When I was in elementary school, I did not have a television and so I have three sisters, and we read. It sounds remarkable, but actually, what's what we did. We mm-hmm. read. And I loved it. So I I began to do a lot of walking. I was not taking dance classes anymore. I mean, it was really a—I was living in the suburbs. I was not commuting to New York City anymore. Did you feel a disconnect? A huge disconnect. I mean,
0: it's very fulfilling to be a wife and mother. But yes. That when you know something else is missing, when there's that void or hole. Yeah,
1: a huge disconnect. I mean, it was a struggle for me. Uh, I became depressed. I was, I was a sad lady. Mm. But I knew that, that somehow if I just continued walking, and so I, I just started walking a lot outside and connecting to reading, again, reading. And I began to write my thoughts down. And I decided that I would join a writing group. It just was per chance, by chance that I found these uh, three women, and I began to write with them. And we had a commitment to show up every day, I mean, every every month with something. And I would just write something. I would write something about my life. I would write something on what I was going
0: through. So were they more essay-ish?
1: Yes. I would say more essay-ish, more memoir-ish. Because I think a lot of writers do start with writing from memoir. Hmm. No. Okay, right. Yes. well from that personalizing genre. something.
0: Yes. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. They start with that genre.
0: Well, that's the comfort zone, yes. too.
1: So that is really how I began, and uh, writing about my life. And then starting to take uh, different classes, you know, going to a, a workshop. I joined the uh, uh, International Women's Writers Guild, which is really quite lovely because now they're having me back to talk about my book. And this was so many years ago. And I just began to see that as a writer, I was even going deeper than I was as a dancer, much deeper.
0: In terms of expressing yourself yes. or or sharing yourself. Yes. And did these essays then eventually, again, my word, morph into poems?
1: No, the essays didn't really morph into poetry. Were you getting published? You know, I was starting to get published after... I actually was diagnosed with cancer.
0: Well, clearly, that's where I was going to go with this, that um, your book of poetry was very personal. Yeah.
1: But it was interesting because I was just having this discussion with my husband last night about the word cathartic, because initially, people may think, well, you're going to write about uh, having an experience with cancer, traveling through cancer as a cathartic experience. But I would say it's way more than that, because eventually... I began to look at it as how am I refining the language? How am I working as a poet? How am I becoming a a stronger and better writer? But it is definitely drawing upon at that time uh, what I knew, what I knew, as opposed to writing a novel, which is writing about what you don't know.
0: So how much did you take your clothes off?
1: There's no holding back. I mean, why hold back? I mean, I always feel that if we're on this earth for one time, why hold back?
0: What kind of cancer did you have?
1: I had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And, and this was
0: how many years ago?
1: Fifteen years ago.
0: Okay, so you've basically been out of the woods yes, for a while. Yes, yes, quite a while. Nice. Yes. That's nice. Yes, yes. Was it difficult to get it published? Did you know you wanted to publish it? What What were your feelings about
1: this? I actually... Did want to publish it. I began to feel around the same time that I had established Women Reading Aloud, this organization that I founded, and I felt that it was very important for women to have a voice. And so, did
0: that come first, Women Reading Aloud? Or well, Women
1: Reading—it reading, was—it's just quite wild because at the same time that I was diagnosed with breast cancer 15 years ago, it was within a few weeks that I had my first uh, scheduled. Uh, organization meeting uh, for these writers to come together. And I remember saying to my oncologist, well, I mean, I have something already scheduled. Yeah, I know that feeling.
0: I understand that. Uh-huh.
1: I, I, I mean, I have, a, I have a plan here. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, because I was going through chemotherapy, and I said, you know, I I need to have that chemo a little bit a few days after I have the event and not a few days before the event. And we actually laughed about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, because I, I have to keep my commitment. And he's, he's a magnificent man. And he said, of course, of course. So uh, I remember actually wearing a wig, a very cute, tricky little wig. And a funny story is a few days after this very first initial event that I held in my home, this woman reading aloud, aloud, the first event for writers. And a few days later, a woman called me and she said, I thought she was going to be raving about the event. And she said, no, I have one question, Julie. She said, uh, Thank you for the event, but where do you get your haircut? <laughs> so, of course, I told her I was wearing a wig and why I was wearing a wig. Mm-hmm. And of
0: course, it, it just took off enormously. I don't want to gloss over this yeah. because no. I did reference yeah. women yeah. reading aloud. Yes. Why'd you start this?
1: Because I felt that there needed to be a community established where women writers at any level, writing in any genre, okay. could come and acknowledge the power of their own voice that it was very important for them to be encouraged and to be supported. I think I learned that actually through, through cancer as well, having the support, the community around you. And today I find it just as enormously successful when people find a community. So I just thought, let me – I'm sitting with a friend in Starbucks – 15 years ago, and said, you know, I want to have a, a, a community where women can come together and feel safe, they can feel supported, and they can continue whatever their writing goals are. And not every writer necessarily is looking ahead to having their work published. They simply want to put words on the page.
0: And they want a safe space in they want which safe, to share
1: it. They want a safe space in which to share it. They uh, want to see how they grow. I mean, how I see women grow by uh, expressing themselves. But it's all about the writing. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a
0: therapist. It's all about the writing. How did you think that you could pull this off? (laughs) You know, why did you think you could do this, and I didn't think that I could do it?
1: I work from the premise of yes, rather than the premise of no. And it it is an, an interesting question why I thought... You no, know, I could do it. I never thought that I I couldn't do it. But I started small, and I think that is a key to really start small. So your first meeting had how many women? You know, twelve women. That's not so small. You know, twelve women coming into my home. There was another woman at the time who was helping me, and we just invited who we knew. And there was something that the local paper did in New Jersey that I was having this organization, and a few people called. I mean, I didn't know these people. I didn't know. I'm thinking I didn't know anyone but I invited them to my home. Okay. And actually, to this day, there are some of them that are still working with me. So you still hold meetings and sessions? I still, even though I I now have international retreats, I still (laughs) have my Wednesday writers. Wow. Wednesday writers come to my home for different workshops during the year, and I give them exercises or prompts. We write together. Uh, I tell them to use any space they want in my home. And so they'll move into different areas, and they'll write maybe for thirty minutes, forty-five minutes to the prompt. Then they come back, and we read aloud. So it's spontaneous writing. It's about hushing the inner critic, which is a huge task to do. Well, that's not so simple, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not an easy job. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about what's working in the piece, so we critique it, but only to the response to respond to two questions. What's working in the piece, and what stays with you?
0: In spite of the fact that these are women who have been published, they still come to you. Oh yeah,
1: I mean, some have been published and some have not been published. Right. So what did twelve turn into? Oh, thousands. No, I mean they're kidding. not. The thousands are not coming to my home, obviously. At the same unless time, unless you live in the Windsor Castle. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't happen to live there. Uh-huh. I wouldn't mind visiting though. So you gave yeah.
0: birth to this very mm-hmm. kind of small yes. event yeah. that you have mm-hmm. seen just expand like crazy. Yeah. And still going strong 15 years later. It is. I mean,
1: actually, now we're uh, in the process of setting up a retreat for 2019 in Prague and out the, uh, the neighboring countryside.
0: What does that mean, a retreat exactly?
1: Our retreats are usually 10 days. Okay. And I uh, lead the retreats, the international retreats. And then I have hired a, a wonderful uh, New York Times bestselling novelist, a uh, Jacqueline Sheehan who lives in Massachusetts, and for the past ten years, uh, Jacqueline and I have been leading the retreat in Seagirt, New Jersey, at the Beacon House, a, a beautiful place that's one block from the ocean. We have twenty-three riders that can come. I accommodate only small groups at a time, so no more. like Twenty-three is the larger one for us. Uh, I've been going to Greece for eight years. That is no long, no more than maybe twelve to fourteen. So to... you
0: have groups in the states at the same time that you have sessions overseas.
1: Mm-hmm. Not the same people come. I mean, there right. are people from different parts of the world. I would come. assume that yeah. yes, that somebody yeah. f- who's going to from... Prague is not yes. necessarily
0: coming from New York City. Explicitly. But they do, right? I, I, but they also come from Europe from, from, and yeah, whatever, they'll yeah. come from different places. Yes, right. yeah. uh-huh.
1: and you do that every year. I've been yes, I've been doing that for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. Actually, the international and that. That just happened in the most intriguing way that The uh, Private Landscape, my book of poetry, uh, someone had given the book to a Greek woman who was living in the United States in New York City, and just as a house gift, a housewarming gift. And it turned out that this woman was leading retreats on this magical island of Alonissos, and she was organizing them. She was not teaching them, but she really had an affinity for for artists, for for writers. So she read my book, and then she contacted me and said, would I come to Greece and lead a group? And I said, of course. I, that sounds just marvelous. Yeah, really. Yeah. And I thought, isn't this going to be marvelous? I I don't have to organize this. Mm-hmm. I can just come and show up. But as life is not neat, about six weeks before the retreat was happening, this woman who I had never met— but was living in Astoria, Queens. She called me and she said, "I'm I'm sick," and she said, "I can't go. I need you to run it
0: in Greece." And was this your first international foray? Yes. Oh, okay. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I I do not speak uh, Greek, mm-hmm. and so I said,
1: "Well, I mean, I really want to meet you now. I, I and we need to talk about more things. The the whole logistics and of the it. agenda, yeah, of course." Mm-hmm. So I showed up at her apartment in Astoria, and I knew she was very ill as soon as she opened the door. And while I was in Greece, she was in hospice. Wow. But I have to tell you that I I just find marvelous,
0: generous people in the universe. It's almost under the heading of stuff happens, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't necessarily have to plot and plan, you know, and it sounds to me like you're just so receptive to whatever kind of passes by in front of you. I had to do it.
1: I had to do it. And I called our host in Greece and explained to her the situation, and she spoke English very well, which was really very fortunate for me. I mean, since now, we've become like family cuz so I've been going there for 8 years and they own a a family-owned pension that's right on the Aegean Sea. That's so Gee, That's tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so magical. Mm-hmm. It's just exquisite.
0: So you've got all these fingers in different pies and then what happened? One day you woke up and you said I want to write a psychological thriller?
1: Well, it's very interesting because I had an agent at, at that time uh, in New York and I had written a memoir. And it wasn't selling. Separate from your poems. Sep- yeah, separate. The memoir actually was about all the different seats that I have sat in and what I see from where I sit. And, and who do I meet from where I sit? And, I, and it didn't sell. So she said, oh, Julie, write a novel. And I thought, okay. So let me see how I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. And I actually discovered this character over 10 years ago. And the mom or the child? The mom. The mom, Maddie Stewart. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what would happen if this child disappeared? But what happens to the, the woman left behind? What happens to the person left behind? So the story is about Maddie and how she changes. She, is she not married? She's uh, divorced. Okay. So it's just she and her daughter? She and her daughter living in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's working for a fashion magazine. Uh, she's had a hidden passion to be a painter but that she has stifled. And when her daughter, Vinnie, Lavinia Stewart, is kidnapped, uh, from the, just disappears from the Jersey Shore. During a vacation? During a vacation. She leaves her on the beach with two people who she feels they would be safe with because one of them has fallen ill. And she runs back to make a phone call to get help. And when she returns just minutes later, the person who was ill... Is left on the beach, but uh, the woman uh, who was there and Vinnie have disappeared. Mm-hmm. So the story really is uh, writing about what I didn't know. Was that a natural act for you? It, it was a necessary act for me. You know, I had to find out. I'm not a painter. Maddie becomes a recognized painter in the international art world. And I have friends who are artists, and so I had to I would be calling them up and say, "Well, how do you feel or how do you look at a painting and what does it feel like to do this and mm-hmm. and uh, and then even the the nitty gritty of it all i could I could ask them. I love doing the research
0: for it. Where did the seed come from? Not so much what made you think you could write a psychological thriller, but that was not necessarily part of your DNA, was it no it
1: it wasn't my plan to write a psychological thriller Mm -hmm. at all. And I'm not someone who outlines the book. I I sit down and say, where are we going next? And of course, the characters then uh, stay with me in my head for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. and They're constantly talking back and forth to me. They become real. Yeah, they're so incredibly real, so real. But I just began to think, uh, you know, where... What what would Maddie do? I asked myself the question. You know, what if on on every page? What if this happened and to what you? if that happened to would, myself? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if she did this? What if she did that? And um, because I, I have to give them uh, activities, to, you know, obstacles. I have to give them challenges. The characters. How long did this take you? I discovered Maddie the character in 1999.
0: Oh, so this is, goes, she goes back quite a way with you.
1: Yeah, I, I discovered that character then. And then uh, she uh, sort of sat in the back of my brain for a while, and then I would take her out every once in a while. In the meantime, I was writing poetry and, and leading workshops. Then probably about five years ago, I decided that I really had to let their voices be heard, these characters. Because it was bigger than you? They were becoming too noisy. Mm. They just would not let go. They would not. And I'm so happy they did not. They wanted to come back. They wanted to, to be heard. First of all, I had to figure out how would I get a child kidnapped out of the country. I don't know anything about serious crime. I didn't at the time. Uh, so you had to do research. I had to do research. And I ended up having many conversations and meeting with a former DEA agent working in Brooklyn. He was retired when I met him. Retired young, actually, and he was just marvelous in all the information that he gave me. I mean, what a rich and vibrant character! He would just give me all this information. I would say, well, how how do I you know, drug a child? I mean, how do what do I do? I mean, how do I get a child out of the country illegally, but yet with the proper papers? Gotcha. Uh, uh, so he was an invaluable resource. Incredible. Incredible.
0: And so, again, from start to finish, how long did this take you?
1: I would say 10 years. I mean, you know, even though I discovered the character more than 10 years ago. Right, because you were
0: working on it constantly for 10 years. Do you marvel at sort of how you do things and then put them aside and then move on to something else? Dance is, Mm -hmm. you know, an an entity. And poetry is an entity. And and women reading aloud and Mm -hmm. whatever things that you organize in terms of, you know, these trips abroad, does it not sort of, not surprise you, but, or is this just ho-hum to you? This is who I am. This is what I do. Why are you asking me? You know, know,
1: I I don't step back necessarily to say, look at all of this, because to me, I I guess one of my biggest fears is what if I don't uh, live up to my potential? Mm -hmm. You know, what if I don't live up to everything that maybe I can do? You know, what if, I, what if I don't experience all of this? And uh,
0: there's so much to learn. There's so much to explore. But not everything falls into place so neatly. Like you said yourself, your memoir didn't sell. No.
1: Uh, and there is rejection and there's sadness about it. Dust. I would never want anyone to think that any of this is easy. It's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. It's not easy.
0: And that it doesn't matter sort of how old you are. No. You, you know, that you can still have self-doubt. or Yes. Oh. Or it just is never simple especially, I guess. It's it's not simple. I mean, creativity may be a natural act for so many people, and Mm -hmm. that's one thing, but it doesn't necessarily prove that it's it's an easy road to hoe.
1: You have to make your own road. Always. I've said that to my children. You have to make your own road. I don't want people to think that, you know, just saying one day I would wake up and say, I think I'll do this. Right. And what I advise people to do is to start small. You can dream large. But you have to start small and then seeing how it it does grow. And I think also believing in the generosity of others because I have found people to be very generous. And supportive. Yes. I do meet those people. So you were
0: able to take, for example, your dance and know it was a great, wonderful, glorious part of my life. Mm -hmm. But I'm now putting it in this jar on this shelf.
1: And it was hard to do that. Very hard to do
0: that. So I guess the joy of something like this is that you're not easily definable, that there's like a fluidity. A Yeah, that's a nice word. Yeah, I mean, there there has
1: to be, I think, a continuance of growth. Mm -hmm. You know, as we get older, I think sometimes people have the wrong idea that our worlds are getting smaller. Our worlds should get larger.
0: That's right. That's a really good point. I I think our worlds should get larger. I absolutely agree. We're running out of time, but what do you hope? It's the next no-pun-intended chapter for (laughs) Julie Maloney. Well,
1: I have a second book that uh, needs time—I have to edit. That's a sequel to A Matter of Chance. Oh, okay. And uh, I want people to—I want to to speak to as many people as I can about this book and about the complexity of the characters and about discovering— and and going to Germany, for instance, which we didn't even touch. I went to Germany. Why? uh, To uh, go to the Katakovitz Museum in Cologne, Germany, because it was so important to me to see her work, because she became the muse for the story. She became Maddie, you mean? She was became my muse, mm-hmm. and on uh, but she helped Maddie become uh, the artist. And I discovered a, a drawing by Colvitz at the Morgan Library in New York City, just by happenstance. Just by happens, just by chance, again.
0: So this book was a real seminal event in your life because Very it was not so. just sitting at a computer. No. I mean the travels and the yes you know, the research with yes. the DEA agent and all these yes. things. And...
1: and I had I had to go to Germany because just one day I said, I think she ends up, you know, in Germany and the child, mm-hmm. Vinnie. Mm-hmm. And I have to find out, you know, where. And so I had thought of Bavaria. Well. Wow. Because I knew it was beautiful. I had not travelled there before, but I so I went with my husband, and uh, we just drove
0: around until I said, "There she is. Well, it sounds like you've got the most amazing handle on life. Oh. you know, oh, really? Goodness. There's a lot to learn. Uh, I love
1: me. I love what I do, but I have to say that a huge part of it has to do with meeting extraordinary women who are gifted and talented. And well, well, I can and...
0: certainly attest to that, boy, <laughs> as I have seen who has sat opposite me, mm-hmm. and it's been it's it's empowering and it's uplifting, Mm -hmm. and whether these women are on a mission or not, the sharing and the recognition is just so seminal. It is. Yeah.
1: I I call it the the golden thread of humanity.
0: Well, I'll steal that. I think that works. Mm -hmm. Julie Maloney, thanks so much for sharing your life and your work and your passion and your inspiration. Thank you so much, Sandy, for having me. I I, I love being here. Well, it's truly my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.